Tony Campolo here, inviting you to uh, listen to our show, Across the Pond, so-called because we put it together in the United States, even though it goes all over the United Kingdom uh, on the Premier Network. We have a guest today. Before I introduce him, may I say he's been a part of the Red Letter Christians movement from the very beginning days. Uh, I remember a press conference we had at the National Press Conf- uh, Conference Building in Washington, D.C. a few years ago, and he was there as we announced the beginning of the movement, which has picked up steam since then. Randall Bomber is a professor of American religious history at uh, Dartmouth uh, College. It's called college, but uh, in, in the United Kingdom, you would have said, isn't it really a university? I mean, isn't it really a sophisticated institution of higher education? The answer is yes, it's one of the highest institutions of higher education. A school that was started way back when they were trying to train people to be ministers and missionaries to Native American Indians. But it's come a long way since then to become one of the premier schools in America. And Randall Bomber has uh, been professor there. Prior to that, he was at Columbia University, which is one of our prestigious universities. He taught at Yale Divinity School for a little while as a visiting professor. Um, He's also been at Princeton University, Northwestern, Emory University. You name it, if it's prestigious, he's been there. And he's written about evangelicalism in America, and we're so glad to have him on the show. Randall, welcome. Happy to be here, Tony. Okay, let's start right off with uh, where is evangelicalism these days? What's happened to it? Oh, I don't know. In my lower moments, uh, Tony, I uh, talk about the death of evangelicalism uh, as of the 2016 presidential election. Uh, I, I, I'm hoping in this conversation you'll you'll cheer me up a little bit and give me some reason for hope. Uh, I'm uh, pretty discouraged right now after the uh, 81% of white evangelicals voting for Donald Trump in 2016. It's a a discouraging situation. Not only that, uh, but um, they come out with the support for things that we think are going to destroy world peace. For instance, just last week, uh, uh, President Trump endorsed uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu over in Israel and saying, I, yep. I, I support uh, your taking over the, uh, and annexing the uh, uh, settlements, the illegal settlements. Uh, uh, for those of you who are listening in, um, let me just say that the uh, Israeli government has uh, usurped land in the West Bank of the Holy Land, land that belonged to the Palestinian people, and has uh, allowed uh, Israeli uh, settlements to exist there, there's now about 700,000 Israelis who are living on land that was stolen from the uh, Palestinians. And uh, the Palestinians are upset, as the whole uh, Arab world may, I say, the whole Muslim world is upset by this. And uh, they, uh, the thing is, everybody acknowledged that these were illegal. They were contrary to the United Nations agreement about what was going to happen on that land. And now Trump has endorsed it. But more than that, uh, the leading uh, evangelical minister uh, in the Holy Land, uh, uh, obviously from America, has said, at last, speaking of Donald Trump, at last we have a, a president who believes the Bible. Whoa. Like Jimmy Carter didn't count. Jimmy Carter didn't count. I mean, whoa, what are we saying? So, uh, 
Yeah. Uh, now, something happened during the 70s. Can you kind of pick us up at that point? Well, I, I think as I look back on it now, uh, the 1970s represented, I think, in many ways, the golden age of evangelicalism. Uh, the previous golden age, of course, was in the 19th century in the antebellum period when you had evangelicals mobilizing to do all sorts of uh, good work, social reform within society. And then in the 1970s, you have this uh, brief uh, revival that is really, I think, quite remarkable and quite notable. Uh, you had the Chicago Declaration of Evangelical Social Concern in ni- 1973 that was uh, really a uh, restatement of the principles of 19th century evangelicalism. Uh, then you had uh, uh, Jim Wallace and Post-American coming out of uh, Trinity Divinity School uh, to become sojourners later in that uh, decade. And then, of course, you had uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, who was a progressive evangelical, coming to the presidency and uh, trying to uh, act according his, to his religious principles. And as I think about it further, there were really two two geographical uh, locales that uh, that represented a kind of concentration of that. One was Northern Illinois, uh, with the Chicago Declaration, but also with uh, Trinity. And uh, there were a lot of uh, uh, professors at Trinity College on the same campus where I was then an undergraduate, who were very much in sympathy with this uh, movement, including Nancy Hardesty who was responsible for introducing the clause in the Chicago Declaration, uh, reaffirming evangelicals' historic commitment to the equality of women. And then the other locus was, of course, uh, you, Tony, and uh, Ron Sider in the Philadelphia area. And so the 1970s really was a, a remarkable moment for progressive evangelicalism. And then, of course, it all got crushed in the 1980 presidential election. What, what caused the change? Well, I think a lot of things. Uh, part of it had to do with Carter, and I think anybody who had been elected president to serve in the late 1970s would probably not have been terribly successful. You had, uh, as I'm sure you remember, rampant inflation. You had the taking of the hostages in Iran. Uh, things were not good. A sour economy that simply would not uh, would not rebound, and uh, and the oil crisis. Uh, the, and it, uh, much of it was caused by the Arab uh, oil embargo. And I think the other thing that happened is that uh, by the late 1970s, there was kind of a reaction to the uh, excesses of the 1960s. And Ronald Reagan, uh, in in many ways, kind of represented that reaction, uh, kind of embodied that reaction in many ways. And uh, we've had a a kind of counter-revolution ever since. Hey, uh, I wanted to ask you about the complex uh, relationship of Christians that are not white with evangelicalism, uh, Dr. Balmer, because you, you, you know, as we look at it, um, it is 81% of the white evangelicals. And as you look outside of that, I mean, what, what, uh, I've, I've read, uh, says that, uh, you know, over a third of, uh, evangelicals are not white, uh, at least folks that would adhere to the you know, traditional tenets of evangelicalism, and 70% of them voted against Trump. But the the word evangelical, even the names that we heard, you know, Ron Sider, Tony, Jim, uh, President Carter, they're generally white folks. And so I wonder if you could sure. speak to um, that, that relationship of folks that have, in, in some ways, I think, continue to be a steady, authentic community of folks committed to Jesus and that that influences how they think politically, and they're not the support base for Donald Trump. 
I asked at the beginning of this conversation for uh, some cheerful news and uh, something that makes me op- more optimistic, Shane, and you just provided. it. Thank you so much <laughs> for doing that. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, and part of the, uh, the, the, the sad and tragic legacy of uh, uh, race relations in this country is that you have these two traditions, white evangelicalism and black evangelicalism, even though they may be called by different uh, names in each of these, those communities, growing up really in parallel tracks rather than intersect, intersecting tracks. Mm. And so uh, that is, I think, uh, a, a cause for hope and for optimism. And I thank you for cheering me up. <laughs> yes, because white evangelicals are very, very intense on the issue of abortion and on gay marriage, whereas the African-American churches, of which uh, I have deep commitments— to which I have deep commitments, belonging to an African-American church in West Philadelphia, Mount Carmel sure. Baptist Church. Uh, they yep. are more concerned about uh, justice issues for the poor, uh, justice issues for the oppressed, overcoming racism. Uh, these are the kinds of issues that uh, run very strong with uh, African-American uh, evangelicals. And may I say, the growing group in America are Hispanic uh, evangelicals. They're getting yes. more and more numerous all the time. And of course, they are um, more progressive, at least in respect to immigration, because so many of their close relatives and friends are being turned away at the border of the United States, seeking admissions into the country. Well, in, in the Indonesian right. co- community that meets in, in the same building that your your uh, South Philly church, yeah. and, and they're a part of the New Sanctuary movement yeah. and pushing the conversation on immigration reform. So they care about issues that are bigger than those that have kind of come to mark and characterize evangelicals. And uh, Dr. Balmer, I know you, I've heard you talk about this, how like uh, th- there was a very intentional decision to uh, put your finger on a couple of issues that would be the real hot-button issues for uh, the religious right and for evangelicalism, meaning, uh, yeah, abortion and uh, gay marriage, and and, and that, uh, of course, outside of white evangelicalism, there's a whole lot of other things that matter uh, just as much or more. But um, how did that happen? Because I've I've heard you say that, and it's really fascinating. I think it's something that a lot of folks haven't uh, thought a lot about. Yeah, I've spent, uh, Sean, uh, <laughs> Shane, pardon me, I've spent uh, more years than I care to tally trying to, to figure this out because, you know, of course, I, I lived through these years, as as Tony did uh, as well, and uh, I was trying to figure out where this stuff about abortion came from. And I did a lot of research on this, and I've come up with uh, what I call the abortion myth. And the abortion myth is the fiction, and it is fiction that the religious right galvanized as a political movement in direct opposition to the Roe v. Wade decision of 1973. And uh, even though this uh, story has been repeated endlessly by, uh, certainly by Falwell and Robertson and these other uh, leaders of the religious right, uh, it just is is historically not true. You have an interesting new twist on all of this. Give it to us. Well, what happened, uh, the, the religious right got started as a political movement after, as you know, Tony will remember, I remember. Uh, middle decades of the 20th century, uh, white evangelicals were not mobilized politically. Many not, were not even registered to vote because Jesus was coming soon, and uh, let's not worry about these things. And uh, what happens is in the 1970s, the Internal Revenue Service, on the basis of a court decision, at the District Court, District of Columbia, in 1971, 
begins to uh, effectively to enforce the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which forbids racial discrimination in public institutions. And as the IRS begins to enforce that, they turn their attention to so-called segregation academies, not only in the South, but principally in the South, and also in particular, Bob Jones University, which of course had a long history of racial exclusion. And as the IRS begins to enforce that provision, it creates a backlash among people like Jerry Falwell, who had his own segregation academy in Lynchburg, Virginia, and other evangelical leaders. And that is what mobilizes them as a political movement in the late 1970s, not in direct response to the Roe v. Wade decision. For example, uh, 1968, there is a meeting a conference convened by Christianity Today, which of course is the flagship magazine for evangelicalism in America, and an evangelical group called the Christian Medical Society to discuss the ethics of abortion. Uh, and, and the big hitters, the heavy hitters are there for this, this uh, conference. At the end of the several days of meetings, they issue a statement that says, Eh, we really can't decide whether or not abortion should be legal or not, but we lean in the direction of making it legal. In 1971, the Southern Baptist Convention, not exactly a redoubt of liberalism, passes a resolution calling for the legalization of abortion, a resolution they reaffirm in 1974 and again in 1976. Hmm. When the Roe v. Wade decision was handed down, W.A. Criswell one of the most famous fundamentalists of the 20th century, issued a statement applauding the Roe v. Wade decision. Mm. This is why I call this the, the abortion myth. Mm. Abortion had nothing to do with the origins of the religious right. Mm. It was instead a movement that was galvanized to defend mm. racial discrimination and racial segregation at evangelical institutions. It sounds so and, much more noble for the uh, e white evangelicals to say it was a matter of saving lives in the, in the abortion Absolutely. issue than to say we took the stand we did because we're a bunch of racists. <laughs> I mean, we always try to state things in a more uh, uh, socially acceptable way, don't we? No, absolutely. And, and, and both of you know better than I that racial issues that do not that are not addressed fester over time. Mm. And so if you follow this through, what happens? Ronald Reagan opens his 1980 general election campaign for president in, of all places, on August 3rd, 1980, Neshoba County, Mississippi. Mm. Oh. The site where 16 years earlier, the Ku Klux Klan abducted and murdered three civil rights workers during the Freedom Summer of 1964. Right. And at that speech, he invokes states' rights, which, of course, is a long-time moniker for racial segregationists. And, you know, you fast forward to 2016, and we have another candidate who unabashedly calls on uh, racist themes in his campaign. And... As we, as we know, 81% of white evangelicals respond. Mm. Uh, we're talking to Randall Bomber. Um, he's a professor uh, of, uh, of American religious history at uh, Dartmouth College in, uh, in New Hampshire. 
uh, one of our most prestigious schools uh, of higher education in the United States, previously taught at Columbia University for several years, been visiting professor at Princeton, Yale, Northwestern, Emory. Um, He has taught as a visiting professor at Yale Divinity School. He's been around, and uh, many look at him as the, the top historian of evangelicalism in the world today. So we're very honored to have him uh, on the program today, uh, and uh, uh, thank you for being on the show. Uh, Shane, did you have another question? Uh, well, sure. I got so many. I, I love uh, talking with Dr. Balmer. I, 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 as you're looking at the landscape of, uh, of America right now, um, Dr. Balmer, um, uh, where, where, where are you seeing uh, hope? I mean, you talk, you talk to us about looking for hope. Uh, <laughs> I mean, are you, are you seeing things that uh, um, are cracking some of those old containers? It feels like, you know, so much in, our, in America is uh, um, just coming to light. And, and, and uh, you know, I, we, we often say, people have said Donald Trump didn't change America, he revealed America. And I think a lot of these things are coming to light. Um, and hopefully that can help us have a, a better way forward. But do you, do you see some, some hope? Well, I, uh, my, much of my hope is invested in the two of you guys. You, you, you're out there at the front lines, and you're doing it. And I, I applaud you, and I think you're doing the work of the kingdom by uh, agitating as you do and, and organizing. Uh, and I mean that. Uh, I admire both of you with all my heart. Uh, you guys are, are, are really doing uh, the Lord's work as far as I'm concerned. Um, other places, certainly Jim and, and uh, Jim Wallace and Sojourners continue to, to uh, fight the good fight. Uh, I, I wish, frankly, that uh, more was coming out of the so-called mainline Protestant tradition. Mm-hmm. A lot of these churches, as you know, congregations, denominations themselves are on the ropes in terms of demographics and, and everything else. But I see this moment as a great opportunity for them to provoke to uh, provide a kind of resistance to what's going on and well, as, as to you, uh, rec- recover their prophetic voice. That, that's, a, you know, as, as people are looking at this, a lot of folks are surprised, but others are not surprised. I'm kind of wondering if, 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 you know, as one who's studied this history more than almost anyone else, like if you were surprised by not just the support in the election, but the the continued defense of things that Donald Trump does and says that are a direct betrayal, not even of the old evangelicalism, but even of the idea of like family values and these things. I mean, I remember yeah, when, right. you know, when, when uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. posted a, a picture with Donald Trump, behind him was the cover of Playboy magazine with Donald Trump's picture on it. <laughs> You're like, man, you can't make this stuff up. But I mean, you, you, are you surprised you by up. how folks have continued to hang in there and uh, like Franklin Graham and others that, Yeah. I mean, it just really does kind of boggle my mind sometime with how much, I guess even how folks don't see the damage that it does to their credibility and even to the reputation of Christianity for folks that genuinely, at the end of the day, their desire is for more people to know Jesus and their fidelity to Donald Trump is not helping with that, you know? (laughs) No, I, and I, I don't have any qualms about calling people like, uh, 
Tony Perkins and, and Jerry Fowler Jr. and Franklin, uh, Franklin Graham, false prophets. I think they are false prophets. I, 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 and, and for a movement that for decades has trumpeted, trumpeted its uh, fidelity to family values, uh, I, you simply cannot make this, <laughs> you cannot make the argument that Donald Trump is in any way a representative of family values. And uh, I, I just don't get it. And that's, that's uh, the reason for my despair. I, 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 you know, you, you never give up hope. I understand that, uh, but mm. uh, it's it's a it's a bleak moment right now in uh, in American evangelical history. And I don't I don't know, frankly, if the movement will will survive. I I really don't. I uh, as I say, I, I <laughs> I'm counting on you guys. <laughs> you're you're my hope. <laughs> we're looking, uh, we're, but beyond that, we we of course, uh, uh, I'm, I'm one of the founders and. Shane is now the face of the Red Letter Christians movement, which, yes. interestingly enough, uh, Randall, has picked up more momentum in the United Kingdom and in Germany than it has here in the United States. But at least Wonderful. it is picking up some momentum here. Tens of thousands of young people have gone to our website, redletterchristians.org, and signed on and said, we want to be identified as Red Letter Christians. We want to take Jesus seriously, and we are rebelling against this uh, uh, strange, uh, almost neo-fascism that is emerging in the evangelical community. So uh, we're hoping that this movement will give you some hope. Good, it does. <laughs> Hearing that makes me makes me more optimistic. No, I, I, I think I think you're absolutely right, and I, I remember very clearly, Tony. One of your uh, statements when we did the documentary back in the early 1990s about evangelicalism, and you said, uh, I follow Jesus, and this makes me one of the most radical people on earth. And, uh, <laughs> there you go. That. There you go. And Red Letter Christians is about that. You know, our T-shirts that we uh, make available to people who want them uh, says, uh, what if Jesus really meant what he said? Uh, you know, <laughs> if we take Jesus seriously, uh, when he says, blessed are the merciful— uh, there goes the uh, religious rights emphasis on capital punishment, uh, the whole uh, attitude towards guns, uh, the National Rifle Association here in the United States, which is the biggest lobbyist group in our country, says their most effective recruiting place and situation is when the National Association of Evangelicals holds its annual meeting. We get more people signed up there uh, than at any other gathering. I don't know whether you knew that. Chilling. I didn't. Uh, that's chilling. I, I and you know to, just to continue on what you said. If if we take the words of Jesus seriously, we take the words of the Bible seriously to welcome the stranger and embrace the foreigner. How is that going to affect our immigration policies? Right. Uh, and I realize these these matters are are complex, and uh, we have to, to deal with issues of national sovereignty and so forth. But it seems to me that uh, it doesn't justify. And as we talk about immigration, or and we talk about Donald Trump. Uh, putting out the order uh, that I hope now is stopped uh, because there was such an uproar over it, of separating parents from children at the border. Uh, there's yep. several thousand children now uh, where... Well, it's estimated this past year that we uh, hit a record number of 70,000 uh, immigrant children that were detained. Yeah. And ah. next year we'll set a record low of the least amount of immigrants and refugees that we've let into our country. And so... I mean, for folks outside the, uh, just reading Jesus saying, when you welcome the stranger, you welcome me, I think m many folks are really, really concerned about that. Or this. I, I've never heard the verse used this way, but Jesus is quite 
pronounced when he says, what God has joined together, let no man set asunder. What God has joined together, let no man set asunder. And uh, we yep. use that about marriages, but it's also about families. Uh, here's a president sure. that is separating parents or has separated parents from children. And, uh, and uh, the evangelical community that is white says, but we're a pro-family policy people. We are pro-family, pro-family. It would be wonderful you... if we could have a statement from Jim Daly at Focus on the Family on uh, immigrant families being ripped apart. But, yeah, he wanted to <laughs> hey, we're out, of, we're out of time, but it's been a, a, an amazing conversation with Randall Balmer. Uh, we'll have to have you back, brother. And, and uh, Rand, uh, Dr. Balmer's written uh, hundreds of articles and books, so read his stuff. And uh, What's one book that you can recommend right now that you've written? Oh, uh, you know, I, 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 I guess my favorite is My Eyes Have Seen the Glory, which is uh, I like that. I've been around a while, but also uh, I, I like my biography of Jimmy Carter, Redeemer. Oh, I've Carter. read both of those books. So there. Yeah. Uh, my Eyes Have yeah. Seen the Glory. Thanks for being on the show, Randall. I really wish we had more time, and we'll have to have you again because uh, we need to know about what's going on in white evangelicalism. Uh, there's much confusion. Uh, and there's much misinformation, and you seem to clarify things for us. Uh, people out there Happy in Radioland, would you go to our website, redletterchristians.org, and sign on and say, I want to be a Red Letter Christian. I don't want to identify with white evangelicalism. Thanks for listening, and Randall, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. <laughs>